The Conspiracy Podcast contains adult language, suggestive themes, sexual situations, and discussions of some pretty horrific events. Basically, all the good stuff. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Conspiracy, another socially distant conspiracy where I just get to stare at Katie and Renee, and they get to stare at me, and it's not weird at all because we're saving each other's lives. Yes, saving each That's other's lives hosts. more important than touching each other, okay. for now. I was going to say, well, I might get to a point where I change my mind, but for now I'll agree with you. <laughs> Anyway, who are you? Oh, me? Me, you ask? Who am I? (laughs) Yes, who are you? You know, it's been a while. People might have forgotten, but I'm one of your hosts. I am Liz. Lizard. Liza. Or as Renee likes to call me, Lizzie McGillies or whatever you said in the email. Oh, yeah, it was Lizzie McLizzie. And Katie was Katna Moncatie. And I thought I was very clever. It's, but, it's pretty good. Yeah, because I there's there's no Disney Channel star with the name Katie, so I had to improvise. That's fine. But yeah, also also I'm I'm still Renee. I'm Katarina. I'm Kathy. Catheter. Oh. Catheter's good. Don't go by Kathy. That's my mom's name. Oh. She's a perch. She's not. She's a wonderful woman. Oh yeah. I mean, at least your mother's name isn't Karen. <laughs> She's got you there. Come on, and my mom and her crew, Karen. Like, we're going to give my mom a pass right now. Yeah, yes. Karen gets a pass at the moment. Use it wisely, Karen. Yeah, don't Karen it up. I don't think she knows how to Karen right now anyways. Oh, no, too soon. Night, <laughs> night and day with her right now. Anyway, so... We haven't recorded an episode since May. Oh, are you crazy? Oh, yeah. That's weird to think about. So much has happened to me since then. I was about to say, I think June has been the craziest, shittiest month so Mm -hmm. far. Even though this year has been pretty fucking shitty. I think June was like the icing on top of the fucking cake for all of us. I can't remember if I told y'all or not, but uh, I think I was waiting to talk about it on the podcast. But 
I uh, I bullied one of my favorite authors on Tumblr. Yes. What? How did this go? <laughs> it was uh, it was in early June, and somebody asked Neil Gaiman, who's very active on Tumblr, if uh, if he was if he would say something about like the Black Lives Matter movement and the protests, and his response was basically like, "I haven't said anything because I'm not." outside marching and I'm not going to any marches and I've retweeted a few things on Twitter but I feel like anything I say is something that I've already said before and I was reading that and I was like that's like and I wasn't as nice as I could have been uh but I was like uh, that's, I mean, just say you don't want to go outside and protest. That's fine. Just say you don't want to go outside and protest. Don't offer some, or I think he said something like there aren't, there weren't any near him. And I was like, just say you don't want to protest. Like people are driving across states to protest. Like people are driving hours and hours and hours to go to specific mm-hmm. protests. Like there's not one near me is like not an excuse, right. you know, um, just say I'm donating in other ways. I don't want to go outside and protest. So he responded back uh, and was basically like, I am in Scotland and uh, the nearest protest is like, uh, like six hours away. So, and I'm like, okay, so, okay. Apparently he's on a fucking island. But that's why he can't go. And Scotland has like very specific social distancing things. All things that I don't I don't know where he fucking is. It just seemed very like I feel like if you have a huge platform like he does, it, it, saying, oh, I haven't really said much because I feel like I've already said all this before. Like, dude lived in Minneapolis for years. Mm-hmm. You can do more. So then uh, a few. Um, of his fans, uh, also bullied me on Tumblr. So, <laughs> and uh, were very mean to me for like trying to call him out. Like, oh, how dare you say that a man in his fifties or sixties, however fucking old he is, should put his safety at risk to do this? Da 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 da. Like sending me maps. Like this is where he is, and I just didn't respond. <laughs> like I don't care that much. I really don't like I'm not here to get into an argument about whether or not like if you don't think he should use his platform for this and if you think it's fine for him to just be like because you love Neil Gaiman then that's fine I I love Neil Gaiman I own like seven of his books I'm not gonna I, I don't love him less he's not it's not like he's JK Rowling or something uh, <laughs> wow yikes but yeah, so that's how that's a uh, you know, Renee Renee being mean on the internet for no reason. I've so that's been my story. Copious amounts of uh, my time on TikTok. <laughs> I still haven't downloaded it, although I found out that my I don't have it. Either. Fine. My brother-in-law's boyfriend is on TikTok, and he's very funny, but he's very kind of shy and quiet when you meet him in person. And his TikTok is fucking hilarious. Well, I mean, uh, a lot of people who were, like, socially awkward and, like, had, uh, like, as you're saying, like, 
autism or whatever would use Vine in that way too because it was mm-hmm. it helped them be like because they weren't face to face with people and they could be themselves and be funny and whatever. So yeah, it's like a disconnect. Yeah, my mother downloaded TikTok in the hospital. Are you serious? Yes, but she never made an account. Thank God. Which I guess maybe I should stop talking about my mom in such a like <laughs> vague way and just go ahead and say, yeah, my mom uh, suffered a. <laughs> A ruptured brain aneurysm at the beginning of June and she was in ICU for an entire month and she's finally home. I know it's really been like a journey for your family so I'm happy that she's home and getting better. It's just like it's, it's nothing you ever expect to hear like a fucking brain aneurysm. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> yeah it's like you have- you know, really big. It's not just like oh she had an accident you know we're like oh she's gonna have a minor surgery it's like Here's a major life-altering yeah. event. Here you go. It's like a fifty-fifty sure. chance of surviving if you're if the brain aneur- if the aneurysm ruptures. Which she had a headache. Hers ruptured like five days before she actually went to the hospital. Oh my! I'm so glad that she's safe and healthy-ish and on her way to becoming the Karen we all know and love. Not that Karen. The Karen we deserve. A new Karen. And on top of that, I don't think. I don't think I told the listeners because we got this on June 1st, but we got a school bus and like, that's right. Yeah. We've been, we, my husband has been working his ass off, uh, tearing it apart and getting it so that we can convert it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, today I got to paint some Rust-Oleum on the floor inside. That was fun. Ooh. What color Rust-Oleum? We got like a green color. Okay. We're going to. We're gonna paint the outside like a a sage green type color, mm-hmm. and um, uh, sage green. Gonna, the bus is actually gonna be named Sage. So <laughs> I love it. What's the Instagram handle for your bus? In case people want to follow. Yeah, it's it's eventually gonna change, but yeah. Um, right now it's oh god, what is it? It's have love will travel with That's a period right. after every word. Yeah, oh, is it? Okay, okay, okay. Have love will travel. Period after every word, and then there's an underscore after travel. Yes, 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 yes. Is there a period after travel? No, sorry. Okay. No, so it's have period love period will period travel underscore. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In case you want to follow. Their bus restoration, which has been pretty pretty cool so far. All I'm saying is you should really think about getting a TikTok for the bus because the people I see on TikTok that do, like, like van transformations and, like, bus transformations and all that kind of stuff and, like, barn dominiums or whatever they mm-hmm. call that, they have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of followers and they're monetized. Really? Oh, that's mm-hmm. cool. Cottage yeah, is very big right now. Clashcore is my love language right now. I watch mm-hmm. a lot of like um, garage, like like she shed mm-hmm. living spaces and like mm-hmm. that kind of shit. Like so nice. So yeah, yeah. well, if, uh, the three of us have kind of been in our own little bubbles, you know, doing our own little things. But a lot of really uh, awful things are happening all around us, and it's getting a little hard to stay positive these days. We uh, wanted to do a full episode on kind of everything that's been going on with, like, 
the police brutality and like social injustices and Black Lives Matter, but uh, we're using our Instagram to kind of educate y'all on that, and uh, we just kind of feel like it is a very important story to tell, mm-hmm. and it's a, a bunch of stories that need to be told over and over every day until people get it through their heads, but <laughs> it's not something that we need to gain streams off of, and it's not something that we need to get followers from, or something that really we should be benefiting from at all. I think we've benefited mm-hmm. quite enough from the backs of <laughs> black people. So Agreed. I Agreed. Uh, encourage you all to look up what's been going on and, you know, the names you see in TikToks and Instagram posts and Facebook, Google them, do some research, look into it for yourself, donate, go to a peaceful protest safely with a mask on, do whatever you can. But uh, we encourage you highly if you love us to love others. You know, you, you don't have to do everything. There's, if you feel comfortable going to a protest, go to a protest. If you don't feel comfortable going to, a, going to a protest, donate to bail funds, sign petitions. Don't believe people who tell you that signing petitions doesn't do anything. Exactly. Um, um, yep. Elijah McLean, they're reopening his case right now because over 2 million people signed a petition to reopen it. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. It's I a heartbreaking I spent like two story. hours the other day just signing all the petitions that I can find <laughs> on all these cases. I was like, I'll sign this one, and this one, and this one. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've signed petitions. Just don't be a dick. Um... <laughs> oh, if, and if you do want to go to protest, you can go to the Twitter account at where w-h-e-r-e protest and it'll tell you where protests are in atlanta yes that's true and it'll say like peaceful ones or here's this or here's a march and all that and Mm -hmm. like i said briefly i'm gonna say it again you better wear your mask you better bring your hand sanitizer you better stay the fuck away from people that you don't know Mm -hmm. best you can be safe wash your hands wash your fucking hands wear your fucking mask but there's still a ton of good we can do, you know, and the fight is not over. And just because the media isn't covering these marches and protests anymore doesn't mean they are not happening. My, uh, my role in this podcast as the blind optimist, things, things seem like they're, you know, slowly coming back around. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say anything too soon, you know, but some, something feels different in the energy. Yeah. I, for the first six months of the year, I was like, great, this is it. It's over. Everyone's terrible. We're all going to die any minute now. I'm just going to evaporate. But now I have friends whose parents are asking them questions and donating. And I have, like, older coworkers who actually ask, mm-hmm. like, what's this about? You know, is there a website or where can I learn about this? Like, what's going on? And I think the general consensus on the Internet when people aren't fighting over the coronavirus is that we all just need to come together. Yeah. Speaking of, what all are you guys drinking? Let's talk about what we're drinking, even though it's all different. Renee, you can go first because you're drinking seven things. Yes. Almost. So, what do I want to start? I'll, I'll start from the right and go. I'll go counterclockwise, my beverages. <laughs> so, I am drinking um, a lemon ginger peppermint green tea, which is very good. I just had a, a sip of it a little bit ago, and it was very good. Um, I also got some coffee, because of course I do. 
I have, I don't know why I'm holding it up, like everyone can see them, but I want you guys to see them. Uh, I have a margarita, which is very good. And then I have coconut water. So I have the full gauntlet of beverages that I need to get through this episode. Okay, Liz, what are you drinking? I am, well, I just finished a water bottle before this, so I guess that counts. It's still in my system. I'm also drinking a glass of sweet tea and a mug of my calm chamomile echinacea tea. Oh, you going to sleep after this. Yep. <laughs> I have to wake up really early tomorrow because I bought a new car. And um, now tomorrow, I think Tuesday, Wednesday, Tuesday mm-hmm. or Wednesday, my temporary plates expire. So I have to wake up, like, hella early. But can't I just tell them, like, I have coronavirus and I can't come to the DMV, so, like, extend my... Wait, you don't get a tag from the DMV, honey. You get it from the tag office. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's the same thing to me. You just, you don't want to... There aren't many people at the tag office right now. Yeah, dude, you'll get it so fucking quick. Huh? I don't want to see any humans that I don't have to see. You can do, um, because Sean, when Sean had to go get a tag for the bus, uh, the lady at the tag office, she was like, why didn't y'all just do the drive through I mean, if the tag office has a drive through you could easily do oh, it there. I, thought that, I know the tag office in Stockbridge does, but I thought that that was just for handicapped and veterans. It normally is, but because of the coronavirus and because, like, mm. they've been trying to play catch up from everybody who needed a tag when everything was shut down. They are allowing people to go through the drive-thru. That's oh. cool. So. Good to know. Yeah, go through drive-thru. Yeah, I forgot about that. I thought it was just for the elderly, but that makes sense now that they opened it. All right, Mrs. Claus, what are you drinking? I'm drinking some good old-fashioned H2O. You know, a little alkaline water. Um, As one does. And echinacea and ginger green tea. Okay. My Mrs. Claus mug, because you know what? We're almost to Christmas! We are not. Let me get through fucking Halloween first. You and fucking Dewberry, let me get through Halloween first. I'm I'm very nervous for Halloween this year, because I don't know how it's going to go. Yeah. When you got kids. I agree. I agree. I wish wish we were in New Zealand, where they're already back to normal life, because they listen to science. And not Jerry Falwell Jr., or whoever the fuck Trump is listening to today. Science. A virus. Do we want to go ahead and give a little disclaimer to our listeners? Uh, this episode is going to be rough as fuck. We're sorry in advance. But there's no way to do a PG-rated version talking about this guy. However, we do have a system in place where if one of us gets uncomfortable... We will ring a fake bell, take a pause, and one of us will read a dad joke. <laughs> and we will also warn you before we get into, like, super gruesome parts. Because there are some pretty super gruesome parts. Yeah, so um, our topics aren't really, like, you know, rosy and vibrant. But uh, this one is extra um, graphic. It's uh, extra penis-y. It's a lot of E. 
It's extra children. Yeah, it's sextra, and yes, crimes against children. Sextra, sextra. It's gonna happen. I mean, it's not gonna happen, but like on this episode, it's gonna happen. It's it, happened, it already happened. The 1900s. And now we got to talk about it because we're gluttons for punishment. Um, which did we? I don't think we said who we were talking about. No. Nope. I'll just. I'm, I'm gonna give some clues before I say it. Um, okay. Known as the boogeyman. He was known as the wolf of wisteria. Um, another one I found, he was also known as the Moon Maniac. Yes. I thought to be interesting. I mean, aren't we Moon Maniacs? I mean, we lose our shit over a new moon and a full moon. <laughs> oh, but his was, I actually talk a little bit about his obsession with the full moon. And he had, I think he had one more nickname. It's, uh, it's too many. Those names and where they came from are for a man named Albert Fish. That is who we are talking about today. And if you know anything about him, buckle up. Maybe don't listen again because, you know, if you already know too much about him, just that's enough. It's enough for now. You don't need to know more. No. So let's talk about Albert Fish. Um, he was born Hamilton Howard Fish. And um, he was born in Washington, D.C. on May 19th, 1870. He was a fucking Taurus Gemini. My oldest child is a Taurus Gemini. I'm I'm just waiting. We're going to be able to do an episode about him in about 20 years, probably. It's cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> Don't speak that but, Pattern seems to be Taurus or Gemini, or both. His parents were Randall and Ellen Fish, and they had a 43-year age gap between them. When uh, Albert was born, his father was 75 years old. That was an that was an old penis to be. I don't think that I don't I don't know if that was his child. His penis was really old and wrinkly. I don't know. How did he get it up? I mean, this was also in in um, 1870. They didn't have Viagra back then. No, they just tied a, a stick to it and hoped for the best. Oh God! Albert had three siblings, and um, his family actually had a a pretty big history of mental illness. He had an uncle that suffered from mania. Uh, one of his brothers lived in a state mental hospital. His sister Annie was diagnosed with a mental affliction. And his mother Ellen had aural and or visual hallucinations. Which she was probably hallucinating when he squeezed out of her vagina. Yeah, dude. She was like the neighborhood crazy lady. Like people who lived near them talked about how she would frequently like hear voices and see things that weren't there. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, at least seven of his family members suffered from some type of mental illness. So with the mental illness already setting Albert up, Albert up for a hard life, Randall Fish suffered a heart attack and died when Albert was just five years old. And Ellen was unable to take care of her children after Randall passed away, so she actually had to put them into an orphanage, and Albert was placed at St. John's Orphanage in Washington. And this place was not kind to him. Physical beatings were very common at St. John's, and Albert was not immune to them. The teacher would rip the children's clothing off, severely beat them, and whip them, and sometimes force other kids to watch the abuse. But Albert had a different reaction than the other kids to these beatings, and he began to really enjoy these beatings. He felt pleasure during the beatings, and compared to the other kids, he wanted his ass spanked. He enjoyed it. <laughs> and this would develop into a psychosexual fixation on why pleasure and pain feel the same to Albert. 
Fast forward to when Albert was 10 in 1880, his mother Ellen was able to take care of her kids because she got a government job, and so she was able to um, pull her kids out of the orphanage, and Albert was able to go live with his mother again. He began running away when he moved back home. Um, I don't know if maybe he was going to run to some of those bathhouses that he liked to go to. Who knows? Um, <laughs> um, he also wet the bed until around age 11, which... We all know that can be a sign of a disturbing life ahead if you wet the bed until you're like a grown person. At the age of 12, Albert began a relationship with a telegraph boy. And now this relationship, it's about to get kinky and weird. Albert's first relationship introduced him to Eurolandia and Coprophagia, also known as drinking urine and eating feces at fucking 12 years old. Oh! God, it's, mm. why, what, whose idea was this? Was it the telegraph boys? Was it Albert's? Did the telegraph boy whip his penis out and was like, I'm going to pee on you, Albert, and now I'm going to shit in your mouth. And Albert was like, ooh, yeah, piss and feces. After his relationship with the telegraph boy started, he would actually go to public bathhouses to watch other boys undress, and he'd get quite a lot of pleasure from seeing these boys. His kinky ways um, are said to have continued with enjoying things such as as Renee's going to touch base a little bit later, sticking a needle in places in his body um, and um, also flogging himself with a nail-studded paddle. Which I'm also going to talk about. Like, yes. oh. Which, oh. Yeah, he would actually use this nail-studded paddle later on in his murders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this isn't just like the the weird albino dude from uh, the Da Vinci Code. code. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is not just that. It goes... Ooh, if you thought that was fucked up, just wait. It's going to get even weirder. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1890, at the age of 20, Albert moved from Washington to New York, New York. This is when his crimes really began. Uh, to make money when he moved to New York, he worked as a prostitute. And soon after he moved to New York is when he started kidnapping little boys. He would lure little boys out of their homes, torture them, molest and or rape them. And he would sometimes use, like... He would use boy, other boys to coerce the other little boys to come out of their homes, which reminds me a lot of that story that we're eventually going to talk about with, uh, what was his name? The Changeling, I like the movie with Angelina Jolie. Mm. Like, that's how that guy would also convince, kidnap little kids, was he would get older boys to be like, hey, come with me, it's fine. There was one city he lived in where he would basically have this one girl he paid five bucks a week and she would, like, send little boys his way. Yeah, she would, like, deliver little boys to him. And five bucks a week at that point? Week. But five bucks a week, yeah, that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money money for the 1800s, 1880s, 1890s. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't start out murdering little boys, but the obsession to hurt and cause pain grew, and he eventually murdered and cannibalized. Here we go. All right. Somehow, though, um, and I don't. I guess it's not somehow, because his mother actually uh, kind of set him up in an arranged marriage um, in 1898 with a woman named Anna Mary Hoffman. She was nine years younger than Albert, and together they had six kids, Albert, Anna, Gertrude, Eugene, John and Henry. Um, during his marriage to Anna, Albert worked as a house painter and he continued to molest little boys. He would basically um, go to establishments like 
uh, YMCA types or like homes where boys would be at just so he could paint there. And he would use, um, he would use his jobs to, to feed his awful obsession of causing pain to children. Um, and he would actually perform like these awful acts of torture in the basements or cellars of the places that he worked. After almost 20 years of marriage, Anna ran off with another man, leaving the children to live with Albert. Yeah, she left the fucking kids with Albert. And to be fair, to be fair, other than his weird idiosyncrasies, which I'm going to talk about, apparently he was a really good dad. Like his kids, yeah, when his kids like testified, they were like, yeah, he did these weird things, but he was a good dad, which is so fucking weird. Maybe that's why she left the kids with him. Maybe, because this wasn't like a Fred and Rosemary West thing. What's that? Ding, 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 ding. Where's that dad joke? All right. First dad joke. How do, how do two German car enthusiast cowboys greet each other? Um, German car enthusiast cowboys? Yes. It's a lot. German car enthusiast cowboys. Audi, partner. Oh, my God. Ew. <laughs> They are only going to get worse from here. If you think his children were spared from his sadomasochistic games, you're wrong. Albert actually asked his kids to spank him with that nail-studded paddle. Until he bled. Until blood would run down his legs. (laughs) Some bonding time with daddy. Um, I'm sorry. (laughs) After his marriage ended, Albert began writing to women he found in the personal columns in the newspaper. He would write very graphic sexual things to the women. These women were understandably disturbed by the letters, but due to their graphic nature, they were never publicly published. But don't you worry. The Internet is a beautiful thing. I mean, it's not beautiful because this is a really disgusting. I'm going to read you one of the letters he wrote to. um, He wrote to some woman. Oh, my goodness. I'm not, but. Let's I'm do not, it. I'm pretty sure y'all have read this, maybe. It's, it involves peanut butter. Oh, and let me say, so in this letter, if you find it, if you look it up online, he has X's in, like, random parts throughout the letter, and those are apparently his kisses to the woman. Oh, sorry, another thing. Sorry. His grammar and spelling is really off. If he says things that don't sound right, it's not me. It's Albert. <laughs> okay? Albert's fault. My dearest, darling, sweetest Grace. XX, your dear loving little note at hand. We missed a train on act of James W. Pell. When I told him we were going to Virginia, he said he wanted to go to you and be spanked and whipped with the rope on his bare ass by you and your daughter. He said you were the prettiest, sweetest, loving little woman he ever saw, and your girl was just lovely. He was all set for a good whipping and expected you to strip him naked and both of you. Mm to take down his pants and spank him good. But I do love you, Grace, my darling, with all my heart. If you were my own dear sweet wife, you would not be afraid of me. I think he meant to say afraid, but he said afraid. Yeah, he's, he likes writing. He's not good at it. No. (laughs) Your nice, pretty, fat, sweet ass. I am a very passionate man. Out in Hollywood at the clubs, I often hear men say when they saw a pretty woman, if she was mine, I would kiss her sweet ass, drink her number one, eat her number two. 
When you strip me, named you will see what Mrs. H.P.W. called a most perfect form. Here's the sweet honey of my heart. I can taste your sweet, piss your sweet shit. Piss your sweet shit? I, I don't, I mean, well, yes. Okay. And All here, right. Here, come, here comes his, uh, his request. You must pee. <gasps> pee in a glass. And uh, <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> Liz is gone. <laughs> <laughs> and I shall drink every drop of it as you watch me. <laughs> Tell me when you want to do number two. <laughs> I will take you over my knees, <laughs> pull up your clothes, take down your drawers, and hold my mouth to your sweet. <laughs> that one wasn't even an exaggeration. <sighs> and eat your sweet. You're never going to be able to look at this ever the same again. Peanut butter. <laughs> As it comes out fresh and hot. <laughs> oh, this guy was into two girls, one cup before the internet even existed. <laughs> what is she eating? Why does it look like peanut butter? She's not eating it. He is. No, no. What is she eating to where her shit oh. looks like peanut butter? He's <laughs> like, and tell me when you are on your lady moon time. <laughs> So I can have peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. Um, oh, what? Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sorry for everything. Our have to listen to me gag. I'm sorry for everything. Uh, I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, that is how they do it in Hollywood. Wait. I have to know why her poop looked like peanut butter. This is the 1890s. He has a very infantile um, yeah, uh, idea yeah. of, like, stuff like that. Okay, but peanut butter is so many shades lighter than poop. I feel like if he was just being infantile, he would have said, like, your sweet chocolate mousse. He couldn't afford chocolate. Like, brownie batter or something. He's just particularly infantile when it comes to that stuff. I'm almost done. And don't worry, the last is the best. I Thank bet. you. I can't wait to yak. That is how they do it in Hollywood. Is it? You won't need any toilet paper to wipe your sweet, pretty fat ass, as I shall eat it all. <laughs> all of it, then lick your sweet ass clean with my tongue. <gasps> Ever and forever, your boy, Robert. Who wouldn't love to get that letter in the mail from a man? If someone told me they wanted me to put my butthole on their mouth and shit in it, I think I would kill myself. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Um. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, he would do that. Um, I guess in his spare time from forcing his kids to flog him and watching little boys torturing them, raping them, molesting them, he would respond to ads in the newspaper. 
Um, he was very upset after Anna left him. She took all their possessions, and um, Albert began to have auditory hallucinations. He is said to have once wrapped himself up in a carpet, claiming John the Apostle told him to do so. And Albert actually blames his wife's infidelity um, as the reason and start of him wanting to not just torture people anymore, but murder and do more harm and pain. Yeah, he was basically like, oh, I mean, sure, I molested some kids, but then she left me, so now I just do whatever I want to do. It's like, no, dude, like, that doesn't, that's not the justification you think it is. But at some point during his marriage to Anna, um, he had a male lover who took him to a waxworks museum, and in this waxworks museum was a bisection of a penis, which I had to kind of look that up because I was like what does that mean um it's oh yeah it's just like cut in half yeah and Albert became super fascinated with it and obsessed with sexual mutilation in 1910 Albert met 19 year old Thomas Kedden and they began a sadomasochistic relationship Albert said Thomas was intellectually disabled so it's not known if Thomas was a willing participate in these sexual acts Ten days in the, into their chaotic, kinky relationship, Albert took Thomas to a secluded farmhouse and began to torture him for two weeks. At one point, Albert tied Thomas up and with his fascination of sexual mutilation not fulfilled yet, cut off half of Thomas's penis. And Albert is quoted as saying, I shall never forget his scream or the look he gave me. <clears throat> Albert's intentions were to kill Thomas, cut his body up, and take him home. But fearing the warm weather would draw some attention from people because of the smell of a dead body, he decided to just put Vaseline on his wound and wrap his penis up, left him a $10 bill, kissed him, and left him. And says that he has no idea what happened to him. Exactly. He's like, yeah, I just, I just left. <clears throat> nah, you know. Give him money. Bye. He wrapped the wound up, too. He's like, what, what can half of a penis cost? A dollar? Exactly. Here, have 10 So Albert, um, after this point, began to target more and more people that were not only like children, but like also intellectually disabled. And he also targeted um, African-Americans. He was said to have moved around throughout all the United States. And apparently he really went for African-American heavily populated uh, states while he was moving about because his whole reasoning was he felt like they would not be missed Um, nor would the police jump on the opportunity to search for a missing African-American. I would like to say, um, I wish that I could say that the police would not jump um, in a search for missing African-Americans at that time, but it's 2020, and police still are not jumping at a missing African-American. Yeah. Nothing's changed much. To torture kids and adults alike and whoever he could get, he had hellish weapons um, that he used, he would use a meat cleaver, a butcher knife, and a handsaw. Yeah, he called them his instruments of hell. Yes. Disgusting. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> so the crime that actually got Albert caught um, was he was caught in 1934, mm-hmm. but the crime that he committed was in 1928 and um, in 1928 he saw a classified ad in the newspaper that was sent by 18 year old bud bud was looking for work so three days later albert visit visited bud um at his parents home 
in Manhattan. He introduced himself as Frank Howard and told the family he was a farmer from Farmingdale, New York. He promised work for Edward and his friend Willie. So he took them on this little job. They returned back to the Bud's residence. And Albert saw um, Edward Bud's younger sister, she was 10 years old, uh, Grace Bud. He, he had originally planned on torturing Edward, torturing and murdering Edward, but young Grace seemed more vulnerable to Albert. So he asked the family if he could take Grace with him to his niece's birthday party, which, hello, this strange man wants to take my child to a birthday party. I literally just met him this morning. Okay, you can go. Yeah, that part to me, I was like, like, I know that we're a long ways away from that. Like, I know we're in 2020, but I cannot fathom no. a time when sending a child and of any gender with a man that you just met to a birthday party? Yeah. No. It's It, it blows my mind. I mean, having kids and thinking about that, too, I'm like, wait, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What the fuck, you weirdo? But Grace, unfortunately, left with Albert that day. Like, her parents got her dressed up in, like, a pretty little dress, you know, got her all dolled up, and she left with Albert that day and never returned. Albert took Grace back to his house, told Grace to play outside for a while, and while he was inside, he was undressing himself so he wouldn't get blood on his clothes. And when he was ready, he called Grace back inside. Um, she came inside, saw Albert naked, began to cry, and tried to run away, but Albert caught her, tortured her, and murdered her. And, like I said, that was a six-year gap between when the murder actually took place and when he was actually caught. And, of course, within that time, he committed more heinous crimes, killed more people, decided to take it one step further and eat them, <laughs> It's uh, pretty gross. It's pretty gross. Katie touched on, like, a lot of gross parts about, you know, his childhood and kind of, like, how he started. But one thing that I also would like to mention is that when he was a kid, he liked to, like, soak cloths in lighter fluid and light it on fire and then put it in his butthole. Oh, he did that all the way up into adulthood and after he was arrested. He would... He would soak the tissues in gasoline, stick it up his butthole, and then beg the guards to give him matches. And he's putting, like, roses with thorns in his mm-hmm. pee hole. Right up. And then he would, like, helicopter the flower around. No! <laughs> Until the petals fall off. Also, I, I read that he started trying to prep himself for cannibalism, well, for sexual cannibalism, by eating raw meat for three meals a day. And he would especially do it during the full moon, and he would try and get his kids to do it too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all that leads up to the year 1919, when he started getting a little bolder. Wait, why the fuck didn't he get Spanish influenza and die if he was roaming around the United States in 1919? There's a lot of things that he should have gotten and died. Fuck. Like, first of all, eating raw meat all the time, putting weird shit in your dick hole, like, eating poop, drinking pee, like, he, he was like an iron receptacle of doom. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm gonna, that's how I'm gonna label him. That's the name of the episode. Um, 
So in the year 1919, Fish stabbed another intellectually disabled boy uh, in Georgetown, Washington. I'm not sure if that's the boy that you were talking about, Katie, but that's kind of when he started to get a little more bold. Eight-year-old Beatrice Keel was playing on her family's farm, and he passes by, and he stops, and he tries to bribe her with money, saying, you know, if you go do this for me, then I'll give you uh, some money. But luckily, her mom comes out and chases him away. Nice. Which, like, good on you. So then he just kind of, like, lingers. And when they go inside, he goes into their barn. And later that night, Beatrice's dad finds him asleep in their barn. And then chases him away again. Like, just thinking, like, because I grew up on a farm, you know? So, like, just thinking about going to my barn and there's just, like, a man, also the same man who tried to take me with him earlier. Mm-hmm. No. no, thank you. This is when Albert Fish was at like peak psychosis. His religious psychosis is making him like feel like he's so justified in these actions, which like oftentimes I feel like psychosis is kind of like religion backed. When you're trying to justify, like, oh, I'm saving this person, you know, they're going to go to hell, Dante's Inferno type shit, you know? So also during this time, he's molesting a boy with the last name of Quinn. This goes on for quite some time. And one day, he lures Quinn and his friends in with the promise of lunch at his house. And they're like, yeah, sure, you know, whatever, we could eat. So they're at his house, and while he's cooking... The boys are wrestling on Fish's bed, which is already creepy. That that alone gives me the heebie-jeebies, even though he's not with them. And they, like, push the mattress aside while they are wrestling, and they find his implements of hell. They find his meat cleaver, his butcher knife, and his handsaw under the mattress, and they get scared, and they go out the window and leave. Why didn't they go out the door? Well, probably because they didn't want to pass him. Yeah, they didn't want him to know they were leaving. Yeah. And then, like um, Katie already talked about, that leads us to May 25th, 1928, when he first sees Grace Bud. So he originally goes for the boy, then he sees Grace, and then he sees you know his chance to take her. Um, and then in November of 1934, an anonymous letter shows up to their house. And I am not going to read it all. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and just tell you now that if you don't want to hear things about children, then this is probably your time to, you know, mute this, put on some elevator music. Ray, could you insert like 10 seconds of elevator music right here so they have time to leave? I'll do, um, the Benny Hill theme. A little bit of yakety sax. I'll play a couple seconds of that at the beginning and the end. So you'll know. That's interesting. That's an interesting choice. But you do you. Uh, so he's talking about um, Grace. 
On Sunday, June 3rd, 1928, I called on you and brought you pot cheese and strawberries. We had lunch. Grace sat in my lap and kissed me. I made up my mind to eat her on the pretense of taking her to a party. You said she could go. I took her to an empty house in Westchester I'd already picked out. When we got there, I told her to remain inside. She picked wildflowers. I went upstairs and stripped all of my clothes off. I knew I did not want to get her blood on them. When all was ready, I went to the window and called her. Then I hid in a closet until she was in the room. When she saw me naked, she began to cry and tried to run down the stairs. I grabbed her and she said she would tell her mom. First, I stripped her naked. How she did kick, bite, and scratch. I choked her to death and then cut her in small pieces so I could take my meat to my room and cook it and eat it. How sweet and tender her little ass was roasted in the oven. It took me nine days to eat her entire body. I I did not fuck her so that (gasps) she could die a virgin. Okay, wait, so he did have sex with her? No, he didn't. No, he did not. Although, that she... yeah, he did change his story, like, multiple times, but in the letter, and what police believe is that he didn't. So that's kind of what made him famous, or infamous. After he was arrested, he began coming forth with a lot of other incidences, so I'm just going to briefly run through them. July 14th, 1924, nine-year-old Frances McDonald was reported missing after failing to return home from playing catch. Uh, His body was found hanging by a tree in a wooded area near his home, and he had been sexually assaulted and strangled with his own suspenders. Uh, His left hamstring had almost been entirely stripped of its flesh. On February 11th, 1927, Three-year-old Billy Beaton and his 12-year-old brother were playing in the apartment hallway in Brooklyn with four-year-old Billy Gaffney. When the 12-year-old left for his apartment, the younger boys disappeared. Beaton was later found on the roof of the apartment. When asked what happened to Gaffney, Beaton said the boogeyman took him, and Gaffney's body was never recovered. Fisher said this about it. I brought him to Riker Ave Dumps. There is a house that stands alone, not far from where I took him. I stripped him naked and tied his hands and feet and gagged him with a piece of dirty rag. Then I burned his clothes, threw his shoes in the dump. Then I walked back and took the trolley at 2 a.m. and walked from there. The next day at 2 p.m., I took tools and a cat of nine tails, homemade, cut but from one of my belts in half, and went back. I whipped his bear behind till the blood ran down his legs. I cut off his ears and nose and slit his mouth from ear to ear, gouged out his eyes. I picked up four old potato sacks and gathered a pile of stones. Then I cut him up. I then cut him through the middle of his body below his belly button and then through his legs about two inches below his behind. I cut off the head, feet, arms, and hands and legs below the knee. This I put in socks weighted with stones, tied the ends out, and threw them into the pools of slimy water. You can see him going to North Beach. I then went home with my meat. I had the front of his body I liked best. His, um, I'm sorry, listeners, this is really gross. 
his monkey and peewees in a little nice fat behind to roast in the oven to eat. I made a stew out of his ears and nose, pieces of his face and belly. I put onions, carrots, turnips, celery, salt, and pepper. It was good. Then I split the cheeks of his behind open, <laughs> cut off his monkey and peewees, and washed them. I put... Mm -hmm. I put strips of bacon on each cheek of his behind and put that in the oven. Then I picked four onions, and when the meat had roasted, I poured about a pint of water over it for gravy and put in the onions. Like, is this the Barefoot Contessa? Like, where, why are you doing this? I don't need your rump roast recipe, sir. I definitely don't need this one. Like, this is not what I asked for. It's not no. vegan. It's not healthy. I never ate any roast turkey that tasted half as good as his sweet little behind. I ate every bit of the meat in four days. His little ugh, his little monkey was as sweet as a nut. But his peewees I could not chew and I threw them in the toilet. Ugh. And that's what he wrote to his attorney. I'm sorry that I had to read that, friends. I did not enjoy it, and when I was writing it down, I cried. So, all right, here, here we go, guys. A doctor walked into an exam room to see a patient with carrots sticking out of his ears and broccoli up his nose. The doctor said, I can tell right away that you haven't been eating properly. <laughs> That's a good one. Thank you. Katie, yeah. did, that, did that make you feel a little better? I'm I'm confused. He hasn't been eating properly because he's not putting it in his mouth. He's putting it in his ears. That's not how you eat vegetables. That's not? Uh, disclaimer. I am not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. However, what? I did take like three or four psychology classes in college. And The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat is one of my favorite books. I've read it three or four times. Plus, clearly, I have some weird form of obsession with people who have psychological and or neurological disorders, hence my presence on this podcast. So, let's go over some fun examples of Albert Fish's obvious warped mental state. Uh, sources for my stuff include an article in Behavioral Health entitled The Psychology of Albert Fish, the book Serial Killers by Alison Lasseur, the book The Cannibal by Mel Hymer, and, of course, good old Murderpedia. During his marriage to Anna, he attempted a pretense at having a normal, happy marriage. Um, even though, according to his own accounts, he was still kidnapping and abusing children. The whole thing Liz just told us all about. Um, he still felt like, because he was making an effort to have, like, a normal family, that he was kind of doing the right thing. Like, he was holding up his end of the bargain. But when Anna left him for... Uh, a man boarding with them named John Straub, after nearly 20 years of marriage, that was when he, that just like provided him with all he needed to fully embrace the evil sides of himself. He said, the thing that started me on the real big things I've done for the past 15 years was the trouble I had in 1917 with my wife and that man, John Straub. As long as Anna stuck with me and the children kept coming one after the other until there were six, I might have kept my outside fancies, which i.e. means kidnapping and torturing children, but would keep my end of the bargain. 
But when I found out about Straub, my eyes were open to the fact that no bargains hold. That freed me. It threw off my chains. I had a right after that to any fun I could find or grab. So this was basically just like his golden ticket to be a perverse, pedophilic creep. Unburdened from the necessity of trying to bury his most base instincts, he spent the next 10 years indulging all sorts of weird behavior in front of his children, um, including like what we've talked about before. He would paddle himself in front of his children and then force them to spank him with the nail studded paddle until he was literally bleeding. And this was like a regular occurrence. How did that how did that conversation first get started? Like Albert was like, all right, your mom, your mom's gone. We're going to play this cool game. You're going to whoop daddy's ass with this <laughs> daddy's special paddle. Some of the kids, like, it was more than the six because some of his, some of Anna's kids from a previous marriage or something, like, th- he had, like, step kids in there, too. Yeah. Ah. He was doing. He would also dance naked in the moonlight and shout, I am Christ. I am Christ. I mean, I do that all the time anyways. I know. I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> and he would burn himself with hot pokers. Mary Nicholas, who was his stepdaughter, described how he taught her and her brothers and sisters a game. (laughs) He went into his room, and he had a little pair of trunks, brown trunks, that he put on. He put those on and came out into the front room and got down on his hands and knees, and he had a paint stick that he stirred paint with. He would give the stick to one of us, and then he would get down on his hands and knees, and one of us would sit on his back with our back facing him, and then we would put up so many fingers, and he was to tell how many fingers we had up. And if he guessed right, which he never did, we weren't supposed to hit him. Sometimes he would even say more fingers than we really had, and if he never guessed right, why, we would hit him as many fingers as we would have up. Sometimes a hairbrush was used instead of the paint stick. And then he also would stick pins under his fingernails in front of the children. Liz touched on this a little bit. Um, About the age of 50 was when he started to experience, like, most of his hallucinations and delusions. That was when he started, like, going hard for religion. So this was when he had visions of Christ and his angels. He began to be engrossed in religious speculations about purging himself of iniquities and sins. Atonement by physical suffering and self-torture and human sacrifices. So I can't remember if this was specifically Grace Bud or another little girl he killed, but he genuinely believed that he was killing them to prevent them from growing up to become a prostitute. He said that about Grace Bud. It was Grace Bud? Okay. He would go on endlessly with quotations from the Bible mixed up with his own sentences. So he would basically make up his own bible verses that kind of sound like bible verses but very twisted one of them was happy is he that taketh thy little ones and dasheth their heads against the stones another one is blessed is the man who correcteth his son in whom he delighteth with stripes for great shall be his reward he said it always seemed to me that i had to offer a child for sacrifice to purge myself of sins iniquities and abominations in the eyes of god And occasionally he would believe that he was God and he felt the urge to sacrifice one of his own sons as Jesus was sacrificed. Um, Thankfully, he never acted on this somehow. Going to post Grace Bud 
But before he was caught, right now we're in the year 1930, um, where a series of strange behaviors led him to being admitted to Bellevue Hospital, um, following basically two events right after another. Um, one was a call to the police from the female manager of a boarding school where he was staying as a janitor. And the detective searched Albert's room there where he found an old hot dog in a drawer that he said was 10 <gasps> to 12 weeks old, <gasps> a carrot, and a cat of nine tails. Um, and that was in combination with him being arrested for sending indecent literature through the mail. So these events led to him being sent to Bellevue Psychiatric Hospital, which at the time was so overrun that it was impossible for any patient to get a detailed diagnosis and the help they needed. Fish took advantage of this situation and presented himself as a normal person to the nurses and doctors there. On his report, he was marked as such. Um, cooperation, full. Attitude toward situation, self-reliant. Attitude toward examiner friendly attitude towards test material spontaneous which apparently is a good thing type of response reflective attention sustained on the whole emotion average motor control average responses precise generally which seems like an oxymoron emotional response variable and further remarks were considerable unevenness in test performance which is due to unevenness of abilities rather than to emotional factors and then he met with a psychiatrist named Dr. LaGuardia, where Fish basically blamed the obscene letters he was arrested for sending on the hard atmosphere in Harlem. So essentially, he was saying that because he was around so many tough people while he was living in Harlem, that he was kind of peer pressured into using obscene, dirty language in the letters he wrote so that he could fit in with them. <clears throat> so, Dr. Gregory, who was the lead psychiatrist at Bellevue, determined that Fish was abnormal, a psychopathic personality with evidence of early senile change, but not insane or mentally defective. Yeah. And he said that was something that was not uncommon in men of Fish's age. He also wrote that Fish was quiet and cooperative, orderly and normal, with no evidence of delusional notions or hallucinatory experiences. Based on this report to the judge in charge of Fish's case, he was released from Bellevue, deemed sane, and given six months probation wow. for sending the obscene letters. Yeah. And this was two years after he had killed Grace Bud. Dr. Gregory was one of the people who testified for the prosecution in um, the Grace Bud trial and still maintained that he did not believe that Albert Fish was insane even after hearing everything. So we've also touched on this a little bit, but perhaps the idiosyncrasy Fish is most known for is his sadomasochism, um, a kink he latched onto when he was a young child. And he was like, ooh, these spankings. I hope this doesn't awaken anything in me. And then it did, and it was bad. Um, while, of course, sadomasochism itself is not a sign of mental illness, Fish didn't exactly follow the rules of safe, secure, and sane. Interestingly, he enjoyed inflicting pain on himself and having others inflict pain on him as much as he enjoyed hurting others. And he would often say that the reason he would hurt others is because he wasn't able at the time to inflict pain on himself. So he inflicted pain using his instruments of hell, 
which we've touched on before. And then he also had an obsession with pushing needles into his body. While he was awaiting his trial, he had an x-ray performed because he told doctors that he pushed needles in himself. And they were like, oh, he's probably lying. There's no way anybody would do that because that's crazy. So they did the x-ray. He had over 29 needles lodged in his pelvic and groin region. And these were, like, he started out just, like, sticking needles in and pulling them out. These were needles that he had stuck in so far that he wasn't able to get them back out. And many of them had been in there so long that they were starting to disintegrate. Yeah, and I heard that there are probably a lot more that had already decayed in the past. Mm -hmm. And this is just in his, like, pelvic region, like, The rest of his body, who the fuck knows? So when he was asked, Fish gave five different reasons for why he stuck the needles in his body. He, some of these are more uh, believable than others. To relieve pain from a hernia. Uh. Because he got a sexual kick from doing it. As punishment for what he had done to others. As a form of suicide because he believed he might die from perforating his own intestines. And finally, the voices in his head told him he could purge himself of his wrongdoings by self-harming. He said, I always had the desire to inflict pain on others and have them inflicted on me. I always seemed to enjoy everything that hurt. So now we're going to, after he was arrested, during the time between his arrest for the murder of Grace Bud and his trial. And... During this time, the defense team had him examined by a psychiatrist named Dr. Wortham, who did multiple sessions with him and has written extensively about everything Fish talked about. He asserted that Fish exhibited 18 different types of paraphilia, um, including stuff we've talked about and some stuff we haven't. So I'm just going to list all of them, including analingus. Oh, God. Castration. A lot of things on the list are normalized now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These were considered perverse then, but a lot of, like, uh, coprophagia, which we've said before is the act of eating feces, still gross. Um, but the next one on the list, cunnilingus, very good. Do it as much as you can if that's Do what you're into. every day. <laughs> <laughs> if you are dating a woman, give her that cunnilingus. Mm-hmm. Um, exhibitionism, fellatio, fetishism, flagellation, homosexuality, hypereroticism, um, infibulations, which is the removal of female genitalia, masochism, oh. pedophilia, uh, picarism, which is the shoving needles in the body, sadism, undinism, which is drinking urine. I don't know why I did that gesture. I would I wish I hadn't and voyeurism um Dr. Wortham said experiences with excreta of every imaginable kind were practiced by him actively and passively and here's where he talks about uh fish taking bits of cotton saturating them with alcohol putting them up his rectum and setting fire to them he did this not just to himself as it was one of like completely on fire I'm sure more than once yeah He also did it to his child victims. So he was like, I love doing this. Maybe you'll like it too. Nobody does. No, just you. Multiple times during Dr. Wortham's sessions with him, Fish would stop and say, I'm just queer. I don't understand it myself. 
it's up to you to figure out what's wrong with me. During his trial for the murder of Grace Budd, his defense went to great lengths to prove his insanity, which was one of the reasons they had the extensive sessions with Dr. Wortham. Their main argument for the insanity plea was his admitted cannibalism. And that line of argument went, surely no sane person would engage in such a heinous act, much less admit to it multiple times. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Wortham, after his sessions with Albert Fish, believed he was legally insane. I characterized his personality as introverted and extremely infantilistic. I outlined his abnormal mental makeup and his mental disease, which I diagnosed as paranoid psychosis. Because Fish suffered from delusions and particularly was so mixed up about the questions of punishment, sin, atonement, religion, torture, self-punishment, he had a perverted, a distorted, if you want, an insane knowledge of right and wrong. His test was that if Fed had been wrong, he would have been stopped, as Abraham was stopped by an angel. And during the trial, Wortham also stated that Fish basically acted upon every recognized sexual abnormal abnormality of the day. And the defense was unsuccessful in proving his insanity, despite everything Dr. Wortham said on the stand. And Fish was found guilty of the murder of Grace Budd and sentenced to be um, executed by the electric chair, which he was like weirdly excited about. He, when he found out he was going to be electrocuted, he was like, Oh, I'm looking forward to it. That's a thrill I've never experienced. <laughs> and then before his execution, he wrote down the details of his many crimes and handed the sheets of paper to one of his lawyers. Um, the lawyer read through it once and destroyed most of the pages, he said, I shall never show it to anyone. It was the most filthy string of obscenities that I have ever read. In his book, The Sexual Psychopath, D.L. Champion wrote, There is no doubt that Albert Fish was one of the most maniacal sadomasochists who ever lived. But it is a curious thing that no matter how depraved a man, no matter what his iniquities may descend, there always remained in his subconscious mind some vestige of the homilies he learned at his mother's knee. He had committed murder. He had indulged in every perversion mankind had invented. He was helpless when in the grip of the terrible sexual urge that descended upon him from time to time. Nevertheless, there was something buried deep inside of him that was still able to recognize evil and still able to discriminate right and wrong. And given the multitude of negative biological and environmental factors, there is no single determining factor that can adequately explain how he became such an infamous pedophilic individual. The familial history of serious mental illness cannot solely account for the extent of his heinous behaviors. Like, while he might have had all of that mental illness, none of his other family members engaged in this sort of behavior. And he even had one family member who almost ran for president. What? Wow. Um, yeah, the family member he was actually named after, Hamilton Fish, nearly ran for president. He was one he was one of like the candidates that was up for it right around when the Grace Bud trial happened. Um Yeah. Therefore, the answer to the question of what made Albert Fish commit such crimes most likely lies in the interaction between biological and environmental factors, a hellish combination of nature and nurture. So basically, like he has the worst of nature and the worst of nurture. Um kind of exacerbating each other until you have somebody who cannot get off unless he's chopping off a little boy's penis. Do y'all want one more dad joke? Yes. Yeah. Dad jokes. Dad jokes. 
What's the difference between a hippo and a zippo? Oh, dear God. What? One is quite heavy and the other is a little lighter. <laughs> Ow. That's like a weird, specific dad joke. Mm-hmm. That's a dad joke for neckbeards. That's what that is. Well, I'm really glad that I got to see your faces and hear your voices, and I wish it wasn't talking about eating child roast, but I'm happy to be here. You know what? I, I think a good lesson here is um, don't let your children go to parties with um, creepy men with weird mustaches that you just met. Yes. Like, uh, yeah. That seems like a good rule of thumb. Also, if every single person in your family is having some form of a psychotic break, maybe don't procreate. Don't have kids, yeah. <laughs> Great idea. Every member of the family is hallucinating and, like, being fucking mm-hmm. wild. Maybe just maybe just get an IUD. The, just, you know, the bloodline ends with me. Renee, yeah, do guys. you have any um, horror movie suggestions for me, also our listeners, that are on streaming services right now that I haven't seen? Is it horror movie time now? It's always horror movie time. Have you, uh, oh yeah, we talked about this. Never mind, Liz. I know you've seen The Lodge. We already talked about it. Hell yeah. It's just so good. Fun. Katie, have you watched it? What? The Lodge. When oh. we described it to her, she got very scared, so probably not. No. It's like The Shining. Meets I can't ever finish The Shining. It's like The Shining meets like a weird cult. Mm-hmm. Apocalypse. Death. Blizzard. Yeah. It was really good. And Alicia Silverstone is in it for about yeah, five minutes. She's but like, she's, as if I'm not going to yeah, hurry. It was weird because Kat and I watched it shortly after we rewatched Killing of a Sacred Deer, which she's also in for like five minutes. I watched Clueless last night. Well, she's and in that for a lot longer than five watching minutes. Watching that movie when I'm almost 30 years old, looking back and I'm like, oh, God, I used to love this movie. But I'm like, this is fucking weird. Her and her stepbrother like each other. And it's just, like, totally fine because it's Paul Rudd. And we're all like, okay. Yeah. Exactly. You and Josh. Exactly. What have I... I keep trying to think of what I... I've... I haven't been... Oh, man. You know a good horror movie that is on Netflix right now that I will highly recommend because it's an oldie but a goodie and my favorite horror movie of all time? Okay. Poltergeist. Oh, hell yeah. Poltergeist. I just rewatched that. It, I, I fucking love that movie. I fucking love that movie. Yeah. So I highly recommend that, listeners, if you haven't watched it recently. If any listeners have some uh, some recs for horror movies, I'm always down for horror movie recs. Because otherwise, I'm just going to watch Crazy Delicious. And um, I'm still going to be watching Guy's Grocery Games. <laughs> I watched Candyman a couple days ago. Oh, the new version? The new one? Is the new one out? I didn't think it's out yet. Oh, it's not? Oh, okay. I watched the old one for the first time. It's so good. It's so uh, good. My main point to get you guys to watch it, if you haven't seen it already, is that it's basically uh, a Gillian Anderson lookalike as the lead actress. 
and you get to see her boobs twice, so it's like you're looking at Agent Scully's boobs. <laughs> All right, y'all. Wash your hands. Quarantine if you can. If you're uh, if you didn't throw up during this episode, send us an email. Maybe you could be part of the show because you have what it takes. <laughs> <laughs> you have what it takes to talk about child rape. There you go. No, don't do it. It's a trap. All right, friends. Well, thank you for listening. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Conspiracy Podcast ATL. And Facebook at Conspiracy Podcast, which we've actually gotten like several new likes this week, which I thought was interesting since we have oh, been cool. dormant during quarantine. And um, what else? Oh, Twitter at the Conspiracy, and you can give us a rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. That would be fun. So Senpai Tim Cook will notice me. And that's all I can think of. And love yourself and love your friends. and From a distance. Yes. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. 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 anybody, I would like to live. I do that. I just want to do God's will. Just for God. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people...